0: Good morning, welcome back to BDI Resourcing's podcast series. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be talking mostly about Tier 2 visas. Yes, uh, We'll throw in a little bit about indefinitely to remain in British citizenship towards the end, uh, but for most IMGs, I think the the first first port of call really is the, the Tier 2 visa, and that is probably um, the, the bit that, I guess, scares people quite a lot. Mm. It's quite complex. Uh, the... The amount of information that's out there, I'm trying to find that yourself on the, the gov.uk website, it's uh, it, it's not the most straightforward processes, shall we uh, Shall we say. Uh, but we'll do our best today to try and simplify that, and kind of cover the key areas and what you need to do in order to get your, your tier two visa and what that ultimately means for you entering the UK and staying and working. Uh, so as always, I'm uh, joined by my trusty partner, Daniel.
1: Good morning, or good afternoon, wherever you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I suppose the first thing we need to cover off is the kind of process for obtaining a Tier Two visa, yeah. um, and you can only start that once you've uh, once you've got a formal job offer. So I guess at this point we're, we're talking to people who have received their job offer, and then talking about what happens next. Yeah. Uh, so you can't apply for a Tier Two visa before you've got your job offer or anything along those lines. Um, one of the very first bits of pre-employment checking that the hospital that you're going to be employed with should be doing is uh, getting you what's called a certificate of sponsorship. So this, this isn't your visa, and I think a lot of people misconstrue the two things. Um, it's not even something that's actually attached to you initially. So the certificate of sponsorship is a certificate issued by the Home Office to the hospital... Um, which says that they are entitled to have an applicant apply for a visa to join them to work. So if you kind of break it down, um, for, for any job at all, not just doctors, but whatever, the first thing that usually uh, a hospital or an employer would do is try and exhaust the resident labour market. Uh, so they would advertise the job to UK applicants, EU applicants... And understandably, they are generally given first preference because, of course, they don't need to go through the lengthy process of relocating and all that kind of thing. Um, So home nationals are usually given preferential um, uh, uh, applications. That said, currently, all doctor vacancies are not subject to resident labour market test and are part of the shortage occupation list. So it isn't essential but uh, as with all these things, um, whilst it isn't essential, it is still going to remain the preference of a hospital yeah. to, to yeah. advertise. And that to that makes absolute sense
0: as well. As well. Yeah. I think that most NHS trusts will, just like any employer would, if you're looking to fill a position, you're going to put a job advertisement there, aren't you? Yeah. And uh, and I think the the key thing, where, where there are gaps in the NHS, um, the preference is always going to be, can somebody start as quickly as possible? Um, and that means that patients will be seen quicker. Um, but as we know, with 10,000 vacancies currently for doctors, um, <laughs> yes. very rarely yeah. uh, are, are those adverts successful at the first round. Mm. Um, and I think that's where um, obviously opportunity lies for yeah. international medical graduates.
1: Yeah. So so what would happen once you've, if a hospital have exhausted the resident labour market test and they've decided, right, we're going to advertise now um, and we're going to accept applications and, Um, go out to international medical graduates from outside of the UK and EU they send you a job offer um, and at that point they're then going to make an application to the home office through what's called the sponsorship management system the SMS system which is usually the system which is accessible to HR departments trusts tend to only have one or two logins for this so it might be the HR manager that has to do it so do kind of be patient and, and accepting of the fact that there may be several uh, certificates of sponsorship being applied for, and that might be part of a HR manager's uh, weekly tasks. Yeah. So
0: yeah it I mean, I've mean, i spoken to some HR managers and uh, they're sitting there ready to go with the sponsorship management system. And they've probably got 20,
1: 25. Yeah. <laughs> to, <part of> the, <laughs> once the process that. on that given day. Yeah. Um, um all they really do at that stage is is they're putting inputting the the details of the job. So every job has got a um an occupation code. So I think it's 2211 for doctors, uh medical practitioners it's called. As soon as that's input, um it will be notified to the hospital that yes, that's on the shortage occupation. So there should be no issues with mm um with obtaining a certificate of sponsorship for it um they'll put in their their license number the details of the role itself so where it would be based and um, the start date ideal start salary, date so. the salary that comes with it the job description or like a brief synopsis mm-hmm. of what the job will entail and what's been done to advertise it yeah. internally as well um i mean i don't think i've ever known of a certificate of sponsorship be rejected i, I think it's pretty rare Um, as long as everything's been done correctly through the sms system it will spit back to them almost immediately uh, a blank certificate which says yes you can have a a certificate of sponsorship so that someone can go away and apply for a visa to join your hospital on the job that you've described Um, so at this point keep in mind that your personal details aren't attached to the certificate of sponsorship at all and that is the next job of the NHS Trust. So once they've received the certificate back, they then need to assign your details to it. Mm-hmm. And this is the point at which they have to pay the fee, I believe. Yeah. So they, they pay about £1,000 for these certificates of sponsorship. Um, they're going to need your passport details. They're going to need your um, personal information. Uh, there's not a great deal to add at that point. It's just no, name, address, uh, contact info, really.
0: Yeah, I, I know some NHS trusts will just send over the certificate of sponsorship number. Yep. It's always good to actually get the, the, the screenshot, the address yeah. certificate itself. Yeah. So if you've just received the number, do ask the HR department to send you over um, the, the actual certificate just so you can check the details are all correct mm. and that corresponds with your offer letter.
1: Yes. I think that's, yeah, that's quite that's really important, important to do. And there are sometimes um, errors and mistakes on there. So just make sure when you receive um, the certificate, check through everything and make sure it's correct. And I think most importantly, make sure it's correct according to the details that you're going to enter onto your tier two application. So um, if there's a slight spelling error in your name or something, which is quite a common common thing, then go back and ask them to correct that. Now, most important thing here is that you cannot change a certificate of sponsorship once the details have been assigned. However, you can add a sponsor note to it to say an error was made first time around. Mm. This is the corrected spelling mistake or this is yeah. the corrected date of start we, or whatever. I, I,
0: again, we, we've seen so many of these where it's uh, where someone's been put down as the, the wrong sex or a male doctor's <laughs> yeah. been put down, put down as a female on the um, sponsorship or um, the the names and the pass, your passport won't correspond with it. Um, the, the best thing is just to get in touch. The, these mistakes happen fairly regularly. I, I think I don't think I've seen any certificate sponsorship issued by an HR department that hasn't been correct the first time round. One or two. One or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think you have being kind that of. <laughs> but, <laughs> but certainly, it, it's, again, don't go into panic mode about it. It's very easily rectified. Uh, just get in touch with your HR department and speak to your recruitment consultant if you've gone through an agency. Yeah. And they should yeah. get that sorted. And, and again,
1: don't panic if they if they don't actually make the change, and they just add a sponsor note. That is the common process. That is the thing that, that they should be doing. Um, I, I, I guess one question we do get asked, uh, Dan, because mm-hmm. uh, some some NHS trusts will
0: um, uh, will put on the offer letter or will offer to the doctor uh, a twelve months to get sponsorship. Others will do three-year certificate of sponsorship mm. and I think the there's a bit of a misconception about how long you can actually stay in the UK on a tier two visa.
1: Yeah so well basically that I think the rule of thumb generally should be that the certificate of sponsorship should correspond and clarify against your um, contracts of employment mm. that's that's the the sort of rule there but if of course your contract of employment is for one year and you get a certificate of sponsorship for mm. one year then it doesn't mean that you have to leave the country after yeah. that year so often the yeah. nhs trust will extend your contracts and extend the I, certificate i think of that's
0: it with uh, a tier two visa um then of course that there is an implied uh, an implied right to stay in the uk for up to a period of five years and 14 days so long as you are employed and that's the key thing. Um, so changing uh, employer and changing um, uh, the, the visa and um, it would still give you the right to, to stay in the UK, but yeah. uh, so long as, as you're employed, that's the... the yeah, the, the, the...
1: and as long as you're you employed by someone who holds a certificate of sponsorship for you, I think mm. if we were going to be more more specific on that, so if you do move employer, you need to make sure that they get a new certificate to reflect that, even if you change roles within your hospital you also need to make sure that your your employer updates that certificate of sponsorship to reflect that.
0: Again, timings are really important. Um, I think that obviously a lot of things to consider when you relocate to a new country um, and uh, timing your certificate of sponsorship with uh, your start date in the UK is is of course a a big, big worry for a lot of IMGs. So when the certificate of sponsorship has been issued, um, that certificate of sponsorship is valid for a period of three months
1: Yes, ninety days. Yeah, so
0: yeah. you've got that means that you've got three months in which to apply for your visa at yes. that point. Yes, there are in exceptional circumstances that can be extensions to that. Um, I, I know of one doctor um, who was trying to pass her IELTS test, and because she kept on failing on the writing side of it, mm. she actually injured her hand with the amount of practicing that she was doing.
1: Right, so she
0: couldn't actually <laughs> um she couldn't actually pass the test in time yeah. she'd already applied for us to the great sponsorship had to be applied for but i know that the trust did in those exceptional circumstances extend it and uh, mm. so that she could then apply afterwards but even if it's not used, it just goes back in the pot, so to speak, as well, yeah,
1: so. and the trust re- receiver a full refund on it at that yeah. point, so yeah, I suppose if it's not used, then there's no harm, but you should really time it appropriately so that it does get used because of course it's you know it gives you ample amount yeah. of time to to come and I think just to to really clarify that that's ninety days in which to use the certificate, but that's to make your application, so it may be that your start date is after those ninety days. And when you make the application, you need to specify on that application that your intended start date is X date in the future. And that could be maybe a month beyond those 90 days. Um, that wouldn't matter. Um, OK, so that's probably the certificate of sponsorship, bit covered. Mm-hmm. Once you've got that in hand, it's then over to you to make the application um, for the Tier 2 visa. Uh, it's done through the GovUK website. Um, and it's a fairly straightforward process, actually, Um Filling out all of your personal particulars and all that kind of thing. Um, certificate of sponsorship number and all those bits and pieces. There are various questions that come up throughout it. And if, if you're struggling with any of them, I'd really suggest just clarify with your HR department or with the agency that you're applying through to um, to kind of make sure that you're putting down the right thing. Don't, um, don't put the wrong thing and think, oh, I could change it later because actually... It's it's very kind of black and white process with uh, visas. If you put the wrong thing down, it'll get rejected and there's very rarely a right of appeal. So you'll end up back at the start of the whole process.
0: Shall we cover the documents that we yeah, you need yeah, so, to, really to have in hand before you start your application? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, so again, obviously you have your COS, and um, that's a, the, probably the most important thing to have. Yeah, from the yeah firstly,
1: you won't get through the application without it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. The
0: the kind of second thing to, to look for is um, uh, you might need to have uh, a, a TB test clearance certificate. Yes. Uh, you can check out the uh, gov.uk website, obviously um, from countries where TB is prevalent, you will probably need that if you stayed there for more than six months. Yeah. Um, you're gonna need um, the Police clearance certificate, and yes. that's really, really important, both for you and your um, yeah. dependents over the age of 18. Yeah, that's right.
1: Um, and that's something that's, I think, quite specific to healthcare-related jobs, isn't it? Uh, or any jobs that involve um, care of vulnerable um, people, Um it, it may even be the case and I have had this with some hospitals will will go a bit above and beyond the requirements and ask for those at the point at which they issue your certificate of sponsorship so they'll want to know that you can provide police clearance certificates um, from any country that you've resided for for more than 12 months over the last 10 years so make sure you get those in early I think they're valid for three months usually yeah. once you've got them so um again, timing is quite appropriate there. If you're not going to be applying for your visa for months and months and months, then make sure you get the police certificates at the right time. Um, the GovUK website's got quite a, a useful section there, which explains how to um, apply for police certificates from each country around the world. Um, and there are some, uh, I think Saudi Arabia is one, where it's actually very difficult to, to obtain a police certificate because there's no kind of centralised police system or something along those lines anyway um if you can't provide police clearance certificates that isn't necessarily the end of your application it's not necessarily a problem but what you do need to do is be able to show that you have tried to obtain them so you've gone above and beyond you've you've emailed the police departments you've emailed the government whoever it is the authority that, that would issue them and they've not been able to issue one for you so make sure that if that's the case, it's rare, but if that is the case, you just that you, you can demonstrate you have gone above and beyond. Mm.
0: Um, next thing, of you course, so you're going to need your uh, test results from either IELTS or OET. Yes. Um, I think that, uh, obviously, a recent change which came in, yeah. which is really, really useful because I know it's such a pain, um, is that you? Know, the OET is now accepted yeah. uh, as uh, as opposed to having to do the IELTS UKVI, yeah. which, again, saves... A lot of money, a lot of hassle mm. as well. So that's a really, yeah. really positive change. I'm
1: pretty sure you can use your GMC registration certificate now and that shows that you've got the, the requisite language requirements. So, um, yeah, that's that's much more straightforward these days. <laughs> um, maintenance, again, that's fairly topical.
0: Um, mm. uh, so the, the rules are that you need to have £945 uh, in your bank account for at least 90 days and an extra £630 for each dependent that's going to be travelling with you. Um, maintenance um, ask, ask the trust to tick the maintenance boxes that, that's yeah. certain, the easiest way of
1: doing it Yeah, they're um, an A-graded sponsor which means that they're entitled to um, tick that maintenance box, I think some hospitals do get a little bit worried that um, they're ticking a box which says uh, that they'll get 945 they'll have to give £945 pounds to um, yeah. the doctor I actually saw a question
0: on an like, um, IMG advisor the other day about that do we get do, does the hospital pay 900, 900, yeah, yeah. £945 and it, and no. it's, it's a bit <laughs> of a
1: yeah it's a bit, a bit of a misconception again or, or perhaps a bit of a miscommunication but um it doesn't mean that the hospital have to give the doctor £945 pounds. it just means that um what the hospital are essentially saying by ticking that box is that should the worst happen and i don't know that they, they the the candidate falls on um economic hardship financial hardship in the first month that they arrive then they, they as an employer will support them mm. uh, rather than them having to go to the embassy to you know try and get flights home or something along those lines so it, it's just a, a kind of safety net really but most hospitals i think now that um international recruitment is becoming more of a thing. They do tend to be ticking that maintenance box.
0: Um, You're going to need your passport. So again, just do the the usual checks on your passport, make sure it's valid and it's got enough, uh, the expiry date's not next week or anything like that. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, the GMC registration certificate, of course, you're going to need. Um,
1: And that's about it, I think. Um, So in terms of the documents required, um, make sure you've got all those in hand and that you're ready to supply them uh, at the um, appointment. So the next stage in this, once you've made the application online, you'll be invited to an appointment at your local embassy office, um, at which point they will take all of your documents. They will keep hold of your passport. So make sure you don't need that passport in the interim. Don't plan any holidays whilst you're um, uh, making your visa application because they will hold on to your passport. Uh the application process, it varies from country to country in terms of how long it takes. In our experience, probably at the moment, it's around two to three weeks. It's, it's moving yeah, pretty quickly. It, there's actually, again,
0: there's a really good tool on yes. gov.uk, mm-hmm. um, which will actually give you real time um,
1: waiting times for each um. Yeah, it kind of country. tells you that yeah. 80% are getting through in two weeks and 90% in three weeks and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully you won't have any issues and of course it will all turn around pretty quickly. There are occasional delays and usually that's nothing to worry about. It's very, very rare that we have issues with these, but occasionally you do get delays. So be patient. Don't panic. Um, wait for your passport to come back. When that passport returned to you along with your documentation, um, you will have in that passport what's called a vignette or stamp visa and um, the start date of that vignette should be uh, the date that you intend to enter the country. So you'll be asked that question on your application form. Um, so if that was the, the 5th of March, you then have, uh, I believe it's 28 days or 30 days. I can't quite remember which, but around a month anyway, to enter the country um, from that start date on the vignette visa. Uh, so you need to start planning your travel at that point, basically. Um Make sure that if that changes, you need to contact the Home Office very, very quickly um, to arrange a reissue of the vignette. It is possible, but it's a bit of a nightmare process. So I would really, really highly recommend, um, unless there's exceptional circumstances, make sure that you do travel during that time. Otherwise, you would be refused entry to the country. Um, Once you enter the country, um, of course, you then then need to um, go and collect... From your local passport, what's called the biometric resident yeah, permit. And
0: actually, on that point, Dan, um, yeah. w- it's going to ask you for uh, when you make your visa application um, for an address in the UK. Yes. Now, this is really important. Uh, make sure that the address that you put down is probably going to be the HR department at the NHS trust, because the BRP will be sent to the most local post yeah. office. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, a lot of people get a huge panic about that because obviously you don't have a police or a yeah, fixed address well, in the UK here, yeah, just yeah. put down the HR department's address or the address of the hospital mm,
1: absolutely um, so yeah once you've entered the country you need to um, go along to the post office that's been nominated according to the address that you entered uh, and pick up your BRP your biometric resident permit which is basically your your visa at that point um, from that point onwards you are free to to kind of come and go to leave the country and, and re-enter if you need to um, you're treated in exactly the same way in terms of your, your entry clearance and that kind of thing as someone who holds a passport I suppose no. um, yeah the the um, t- uh, sorry the uh, BRP would only be valid for as long as you're employed obviously should you leave that employment you'd then um, your certificate would, would end your BRP would end the hospital would notify the home office and of course you'd then only have so long to, to leave the country or to find uh, another employment yeah I, the... yeah, I think so. The,
0: again, pay the fees. That's the the next uh, the, the yes. thing. A, a change again that's coming with the immigration health surcharge is that oh, we, yes, unfortunately yeah. uh, the UK government has uh, seen fit to increase it for international doctors, which is uh, never nice mm. and obviously slightly more burdensome for particularly if you're bringing your families. But mm. the change is, is that it's actually gone up. So instead of four hundred pounds per person. Uh, and dependent, it's now got up to six hundred and twenty-five pounds. So again, I mean,
1: keep in mind though that that does give you access to the entire NHS mm. for completely free of charge. And you know, I, I do I appreciate that doctors obviously make a really huge contribution to the NHS in terms of um, working for it. But um, the NHS is something that's free to to every. Person in this country, or free at the point of access to every person in this country um, through the taxes that we pay, the national insurance that we pay. Um, so the £625 means that um, anyone coming into the country as an international um, person w- will have exactly the same access uh, as a UK national um so for you your spouse your dependents your family should they have any um any reasons to need the nhs they'll be able to use it completely yeah. as much as they need to so um you know it, it's a, it's an expense but i think it's it, it does pay for a great service yeah. as well so yeah um
0: obviously the indefinite leave to remain is um it's kind of an end goal for for a lot of doctors i guess uh but we didn't really want to go too much into detail with it today because, again, for most IMGs, it, it might seem quite far, <laughs> far yeah, in the future. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the headlines really for, and definitely to remain, are that you, you must have lived continuously in the UK for a period of five years. Um, you, there are certain rules about how long that you, you have to stay in the UK in any for any given time. Uh, so it, you, you can't come on tier T2 visa and leave the country for 11 months at so the 12th, for example, and that's yeah. accumulated over a five-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you satisfy the rules, um, then then you can apply after five years um, to, to kind of have no restrictions uh, in, in entering or leaving the UK at that point. Uh, there is a life in the UK test that you, you'd have to do uh, with, with lots of weird and wonderful questions about uh, about the Queen, yeah. And again, there's a lot of documentation that you have to to, to provide in, in support of that as well. Um, yeah, it, I mean, I, I guess it's uh, probably for, for most IMGs, it's quite quite far down the line. Um,
1: yeah, I, I or... think so. I think so. It, it, you know, it, it's. Um, it's an important part of um, of the visa process, but it's not something you can kind of change or influence at the point you're entering the UK for the first time. Just something you need to accrue that amount of time here and obviously acclimatise and settle in. And uh, when the time comes, hopefully you'll, you'll be granted that indefinite leave to remain or British citizenship. Um, yeah, I, th- I think one kind of caveat to all of this uh, is probably just to say that the visa process, it is a legal process and, you know, it's not something that, that should be taken lightly. Um, we've given you a brief, broad overview of it here. But, of course, there's there's lots and lots of ins and outs and nitty gritty and details in individual cases. I think one of the things I would highly recommend if your case is very specific or you've got um, particular concerns, um, speak to an immigration lawyer or speak to an expert about it. Um, and and seek that kind of advice because you don't want to get this wrong Mm. it's important to get it exactly right and you know we'll give you the support that we can and guide you through the process as much as we can but that is limited by the fact that we are only as knowledgeable as as someone who's researched and you know we're we're a recruitment agency at the end of the day if you want strictly speaking legal immigration advice then you should speak to a lawyer really Mm. to to obtain that um, but hopefully this guide is, yeah, is useful. I,
0: I think that's it. I, mean, I think it can be quite a daunting process, but mm. I mean, over over the years, we we've helped hundreds of uh, international doctors with a visa application yeah. and. I mean the, the, the major issues are, are few and far between exactly. most of them go through absolutely fine I think just the,
1: the very nature of the fact mm. that um, people come in as doctors uh, are taking up the occupations that they are and that those occupations are in such high demand in this country um, mean that usually everything will be done to help you to get you through that process HR departments are really helpful with all these things your agency should be really helpful as well Um, so you know you shouldn't have any major issues I wouldn't have thought but if you've got specific cases talk them through with your HR department talk them through with your recruiter Um, and obviously if you need to speak to seek any immigration uh, legal advice then do so good well Um, I
0: think that probably
1: concludes
0: today's podcast yes uh, on tier 2 visas Um, we'll be back with another one fairly soon I'd imagine Um, and I think what, what we want to cover in the next podcast was what to do once you first arrive in the UK. So, yeah, slightly slightly more exciting for, for me, I think, that one.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, covering off some of the, the exciting stuff that maybe you hadn't thought of, like mm-hmm. opening a bank account or um, getting a mobile phone here or whatever it might be. But yeah, it should be an interesting one.
0: Good. As always, thanks very much for listening. Yes, and thank you to the podcast, and uh, we will see you again soon.